This is Coda Radio, episode 117, for September 2nd, 2014. Everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us for 117 episodes is our excellent host, established on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Bonjour. <laughs> what are you doing over there? I heard you getting something set up. You're not grabbing a bottle of some tasty beverage by chance, right as the I, show I starts. Ha- yes, I may have uh, grabbed a bottle of Grey Goose right before the show starts. Nice, nice, good. I have a little bit of uh, Captain Morgan Silver with me today. You know, this is a fresh bottle. Shall we crack the bottle Do simultaneously? Yeah, yeah. All, right, all right, go. You ready? Go for it. Yes, I on am. On my count. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay. Oh, <laughs> all right, I got it. A little bit on the table, oh, no. but I, I got it. Oh, no, there's a paper wrapper on mine. <laughs> I'm going to put it in my Diet Coke that I got from Jimmy John's. <laughs> That's how classy I am. Yeah, I, I, Let I me stir it with start. the plastic straw. <laughs> you know, it, the thing is, is I didn't do any drinking on Labor Day. I didn't do any drinking, so I got to – wait, is that true? That's not true. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a glass of uh, of wine on Labor Day. Yeah, life, so yeah, I, I had. I can't I, say that I wasn't drinking. I didn't have much though. I didn't have much. It almost it, it doesn't even count. It doesn't even count. I feel like that doesn't count, right? A glass of wine with a meal. Is no, like... no, or like a a double orange orange juice and rum in a tall glass doesn't count, right? Well, you, you see, Mr. Fisher, I'm Italian, so everything I cook has at least like an alcohol content of one. Can you hear this pouring, by the way? Yeah. Oh. And some oh, ice, yeah. too, huh? Nice, man. Nice. Yeah, well, in a styrofoam cup, because, you know, we're classy here at Fingertip Tech. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike's doing the show from the office today, so it gives yeah. you an idea of what's, uh, what's in the kitchen at Mike's office. <laughs> My, yeah, Mike's office is a, you know, so, some places offer free coffee. We have that. <laughs> sure. Um, we used to have cereal, but I don't know what happened. I can't. Strangest thing, I can't order, like, the little packs of Cheerios anymore, because huh. Amazon was like, no, we don't like Cheerios. Yeah. So now we have vodka, because well. you can trade you know, you put that in a little uh, orange juice, and you're fine. Or anything. Uh, really. or, you know, you got to do a Tom Collins. Orange juice and lemon juice. Beautiful. <laughs> hey, so uh, 117, our post-Labor Day episode. We thought it was high time that we did some Collins. We've already got a mumble room staged and ready to go. If you're listening live right now, you still have a chance to join us. You just need to bang mumble in our chat room and then uh, join us and talk about anything. In fact, now might be a good time. I will, uh, I'll say uh, hello there and time-appropriate greetings to those of you in our mumble room. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Hello. 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 And Hello, time-appropriate greetings. Time-appropriate greetings to you, too. So, guys, we're going to go through this, and uh, if you have any comments after the end of the email, uh, I'll uh, toss to Mike first, and then you guys can chime in. And then it's kind of a roundtable after that. So we'll start today with Esteban's email. And he's touching on one of my favorite topics, which I'm glad to hear he also has been enjoying. And that's life and the work versus burnout uh, balance. He says, not only do I enjoy the coder information as a small business owner, I enjoy the conversations regarding working from home or renting an office, which we've all been kind of 
following Mike's journey there. That's been an interesting process. Uh, so he goes on to say that uh, as topics regarding life versus workout uh, burnout, this has been particularly interesting to me. I have found that when it's an emergency, they, my clients, are willing to pay. But after I take off the emergency, then they put my invoice in the back burner. Oh, interesting. So once the, he's saying once the emergency is taken care of. Uh, the uh, they're not so urgent to pay the invoice. So if there's an emergency, I now ask for a retainer and have them sign a clear engagement letter. Wow, and this is interesting too because some people thought, boy, what kind of why why do you guys have to have so much paperwork? Well, he's saying before he goes in on and does any emergency work, he has them sign something ahead of time. He says I've I've had clients who call me when the IRS is at their business, about ready to close their business. I come in and I save the day. But now that that client is no longer facing the emergency. They quibble about my invoice or refuse to pay the whole invoice and yep. about my balancing life and work. I do believe that life trumps work. I know this makes me a pinko commie. As regards for human history, many families, home and workplace were the same, i.e. farm, and they lived above the store. As for burnout, some of my clients ignore my suggestions, and thus it seems that they are always putting out fires. I no longer reply to night and weekend phone calls, nor do I go out after hours because my client has an emergency. I also leave my office for lunch. I don't have a working lunch. If you aren't careful, death is nature's way of slowing you down. Esteban. What do you think of that, Mike? Damn. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can speak to um, a ton of this, but I, 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 you know, the burnout thing can be a little complicated. I would say the biggest thing is, like, I definitely you need to have some sort of signed document before you begin any work. It doesn't matter if their servers are on fire, right? Mm. Like you can, I, w- I would stand there with the fire extinguisher and wait for the document to be signed. It's just, <laughs> you you it, want it, all it's this? Just, you want this fire extinguisher? <laughs> well, you know, it's the unfortunate reality of once you're in this business for long enough, you're going to get burned. Like the same things always happen, right? You know, any cost we will, you know, whatever needs to be done needs to be done. And then they're like, oh, but net 15, right, or net 30. Yeah. And then that 30-day comes in. Well, we're not so sure that this is a good accounting of, you know. Right. That that has also happened to me. So what I have done is my approach is is I like to really find the train wreck clients. That way they always have another emergency that I can then hold over right. them to get payment for the last. No, just kidding. <laughs> but it's actually well, kind yeah, of true I mean, in a way. <laughs> you're, you're joking. But, yeah, obviously no work can begin until, until the last yeah. you know, block yeah. was paid for. I mean, that's you know, just the way it goes. Also, uh, Esteban said something at the end that uh, sort of was so great that I, I sent it to my wife earlier today. Uh, at the end where he says, if you're not careful, death is nature's way of telling you to slow down. Sounds kind of funny, uh, and it is, but it also is so profoundly true. Um, I thought, as I was going about my day-to-day business, I thought eventually somebody who cared about me would say, you're working too much. But it turns out that everybody around you wants to support you and wants to encourage you. And so they don't want to discourage. They don't want to slow you down. They want to help you as much as they can. So they don't tell you you're working too much. You, I mean, sometimes that does happen. In my case, it wasn't happening. And so I had to recognize it myself. And the way I recognized it was health issues. Uh, and Esteban's kind of right. It was nature's way of saying, you know what? Nobody else is saying anything. So I got to say something. You've got to refocus okay. a little bit. I mean, a heart attack is nature's yellow light, right? That's, that's how uh, that maybe works. a little more than a yellow light. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. It's the cop putting the stop hand up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone in the mumble room want to chime in with any insights to Esteban's email, life, work, balance, and things like that? 
Going once. Go ahead, yeah, Daredevil. Certainly. Um, it's, it's something I can actually correlate a little bit. Um, recently, I had an experience that... Um, so this client wanted just to to get something really fixed really quickly. Sure. Uh, we did it. Uh, he paid for it. But then after paying, then he started wondering about if he could actually get a part of the money. But since we had all the paperwork, things were saved. Uh, but we decided not to do business with them anymore. Yeah, Because sure. that's not acceptable. I think one thing is not wanting to pay. Another thing is after paying, going after you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's also another thing you can do is just say, you know what, I'm worth more than this. I'm out of here. I'm not going to take this anymore. And I think sometimes people are worried they won't be able to find work again. But if you set your standards high, and exp- you know, you'll eventually find the right match for a client. Well, I, I think the thing too is like if you have like a price list mm. or some sort of like process that you follow, clear up and front, finding, right? Right, and I, I'm finding this too. Like as you start adding like staff and things like that, you have to follow your process more. Because here's what happens. If you don't, it's really hard to deal with that. And it, it could be something as, you know, as simple as maybe you give someone a break on payment terms, you know, and not a huge break, but you give them like a little bit of lead time. And you normally wouldn't have done that. But then they're still late on that lead time. And your normal procedure would be to be, you would be, you're late, we're, we're done. We stop working, that's it. And you're you're back on the schedule when you're back on the schedule, right? Which is how we do it here. If your if your payment's late, your your project is frozen. We get you know a, basically it's like I think it's like a month now if you're if, you, if you're a day late. And the reason for that is twofold. One, we want to discourage people paying late. Two, as a small shop, we have the weird problem of we have people here that need to get paid, but we also don't have a ton of bandwidth, mm-hmm. so we can't have people you know playing World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. you know. Waiting for the next project. Because they were assigned to a project, right. and now... Well, and, and you you'll know, book things out, too. You'll be like, okay, well, we're going right. to work on this project for three months, which means we'll start the next... Well, so then you'll commit to a client and say, okay, well, in three oh, months, well, we'll begin with you. And if a client fails, say, one month into that three-month process, that other client might not be ready to pull the trigger. They might not have the team, the resources, the requirements, right. or the or the money in place to start working with you. So you're just left where now you've committed to somebody in two months. You've got a current project in one month in that is now kind of on hold. And then worst-case scenario is that client that's on hold starts paying while the other client is gets spun up and now you've got two two projects at once when you had everything all planned out to begin with hate that yeah so yeah that was an issue actually fairly fairly recently the way we resolved that was the the automatic freeze of four weeks or five weeks i forgot what it exactly is but it just says listen you were late so we had to go find a new customer or or prioritize another project sorry (laughs) It, it and it is a kind of prickish way to do things but you know sometimes you you know there are some some companies are just so big that they cannot cut a check for a dollar Hmm. without like two weeks of lead time Mm -hmm. or three weeks of lead time Mm because someone's got to sign off on it from accounting right Mm -hmm. and it's just the reality if you need to make sure you're incentivizing your customer a lot with your incentives not with theirs and daredevil you've recently done some tweaking what have you guys done so recently, actually, there was uh, because th- there was this amount of clients that decided to go weird, and uh, we decided to put a clause that gives us rights, especially when it's fixing um, and just adding to the code base that already have. 
that gives us rights to that code base and actually ability to relicense. So clients go and say, why do you want this? You want to stab our business? And I say, well, you shouldn't be concerned. This is only if you don't pay. So right. it's fine. And if yeah, they're expecting it... to be to pay. And that often actually puts them a flag that they go and they don't dare to say, I'm not going to pay because they're afraid they were going to lose all their work. And I don't care their trade systems. They have actually in the papers um, waiving patents as well. Very good. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, we have something very similar. It's if you don't pay the final invoice, everything reverts back to us, and that's it. All right. That's... Uh, I like this, but we should probably move on to the next one. Uh, Jed writes in, friend of the show, biker enthusiast, and Nerf champion, several years running, writes in and says uh, he has some uh, feedback for uh, – oh, I'm sorry. that Jed's our next email. Our first email comes in from Sean. He says uh, why I use uh, .NET as a Linux admin. Jed, you're up next. He says, the short answer can be summed up with one word, mono. Yes, there was a mass exodus away from mono years ago, although there has been, never been any indication for Red- Redmond that mono was at any particular risk. The code base itself is a clean room implementation of .NET. As long as you don't do any ASP.NET stuff, it's wrapped in Stallman's GPL security blanket. So what did the community leave behind? How about support for half a dozen GUI toolkits, including a platform-native option for any desktop or mobile device? There's C-sharp, F-sharp, F++, CLI, and cough, even VB. Sometimes you don't get to pick. There's a CLR, uh, Common Language Runtime. There's Ruby, Python, and Coder support, with the ability to use .NET libraries from within those languages. There's even IKVM. He goes on to say that it's a mature platform that I can use to write tools. I can use on Linux servers. I can use it on Windows box. I can administer and reuse it in any desktop app my boss asked for. And in the Mac version, his his boss asked for. And the iPad version, her boss asked for. The Python script I wrote for Linux can run on my Windows server without needing approval to install the C Python runtime. That's actually kind of nice. I just bundle Iron Python, and it runs on .NET. All this works on FreeBS2, in case Alan's listening, and in place... In place that fancies itself a Microsoft shop, it's nice to have a free software tool that helps me share code across everything so I can still champion Linux as a platform for running on Mono. That's why I use .NET. Thanks for the great shows. Sorry for the long email. That's a great defense of .NET. And I can totally see how somebody who's working in a Microsoft shop would find Mono to be a, a, a godsend, like a, a, a common, a, you know, a, a common sense of sanity. Yeah, I mean, you know... As a more of a pragmatist, to me, and I know this is going to get a lot of haterade, it is somewhat, at least for the way I work, objectively true that the .NET tool chain, Visual Studio, stuff like that, once you kind of dig into it a little bit, is really good. Um, I don't know. And the C-sharp language is kind of awesome. Like I, I, I don't think it makes sense to criticize anyone for using that tool chain. Now, VB, yeah, go ahead, rip yeah. them apart. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, F sharp, it seems like the Scala to, uh, you know, the, the Scala to C sharp's Java. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of C sharp right now, and it is a very, very powerful language. And I, I would even say, are you ready for this? Mm, I, think I don't I know. Like it, I think I like it better than Java. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, it's a really good language. So, all right, mumble room. Fire away. Daredevil and take it. What do you think? You wanted to recommend Vala? Come on. Yes. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> before I, I want to take, take on what uh, Dom said. Okay. And uh, 
I actually agree with him to a large degree, uh, especially Java seems to be clobbering just too many things and often gets off. In my personal experience, that is. Mm. Uh, but I, if if you guys like C Sharp or like Java, Cryval, I'm say I'm serious. If you want to do, I, I know it's very the the a couple of the UI things that you might get, they're bound to GTK. And if you don't like GTK, that's usually not as awesome. Mm. But I would say, Cryval, I think you won't regret it. And remember. If Vala uses glib as the object system, and that's much just C, and will run anywhere C runs. So you will be safe in that regard. So I tried out Vala because uh, I was playing around with Geary, the open source project. What, um, and that was maybe a year or so ago. What is the deal with the toolchain on Vala these days? So the the the, the lead project is is seriously just focusing on the compiler, getting it uh, okay. to do the proper things. But there are community efforts. There's an IDE coming, and there 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 was actually support for Vala in Mono Develop, which is fun. Um, and um, there there is also a see they use they use a lot of CMake uh, for building the Vala projects, and they found, they already created the the fine tools for it to just work to have that seemingly experience. And Fred, you uh, kind of wanted to chime in on this topic too, right? Yeah, so um, um, about... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so actually, um, yeah, C-sharp is a great language. I, 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 am a, I am a fully free software guy, but I would prefer C-sharp over Java anytime. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, um, but... No, I'm serious. I mean, in terms when you start looking no, at I, the, theoretical, I yeah. Yeah. the theoretical foundation of C Sharp and the way it's developed and the way features are incorporated and all this stuff, Java is just way behind. Mm. And um, the second thing I'd like to point out is that, um, you know, everything works fine at the high level. So we're start, we'll start talking about, you know, those managed languages like Ruby and Python and C Sharp and Java. But, um, I mean, after all, portability, when we do these kinds, we use these kinds of languages for portability, but when you get to the nitty gritty details, it just never works, right? You will always run into a concrete wall because some, some, some platform detail or something like that. Mm. So, um, and, and Vala, Vala does not help that much here compared to C Sharp. Vala is a step back, I think. Because of all the G object uh, support on platforms, right? Uh, no, actually, actually, you can go and see Glib has full support for other platforms, um, and there's actually, uh, like for example, threading, uh, you, something you will usually do uh, differently on each operating system. Vala has actually the threading mechanism that goes and compiles to the systems, uh, doing it properly. So it's just a matter. The process of compiling, for example, two windows from a Linux machine is you compile to the C and then you make the C compiler write it to the to, mm. to the executable. That's kind of the the downside because currently they're focusing the compiler on running on Linux. Eventually, they will port the compiler to run also as well on Windows. But since you have this mechanism, they're not too focused on it right now. 
but it's something very doable. And there is also a, a tool for automatic bindings for any C library that you have. Ooh. And so that that's kind of something that is very important. Like one of the reasons Vala was able to take up so quickly is if you go to valadoc.org, you will be able to see like a full list of all the libraries that they have bindings for. And mm-hmm. it's impressive. Mm-hmm. For the short amount of time, the, the project has been going. True. Uh, it is true. and uh, Of course, but... Go ahead. Um, sorry, I just wanted to say that, of course, you will find libraries for every language on every platform and yeah. so on. Yeah. How well they are supported and all that stuff. And, and how well are they integrated together and all that kind of stuff. Threading, you gave the example of threading, which I think is an okay example. But, I mean... I personally think that uh, if we if we want to develop software reliably, um, we need to start looking beyond those low-level details. We should be way past those low-level details by now. Yeah. We should be talking about yeah. you know UI, uh, you know finding the right icons, finding the right files, and all that stuff on the platform, which yeah. just doesn't happen anywhere right now at an abstract level to the programmer. Yeah, th- well, yeah it I- is 2014 after all. <laughs> I know it feels oh, like we should yeah. be there, but. Chris, something funky is happening to the stream. Uh oh, are you getting are you getting some weird sounds or something? Yeah, you're kind of robotic. You know what? Sometimes that happens on the Skype with like sound cards and stuff. I'll call you back, okay? So uh, you stand by, Mr. Dominic. It'll be it'll be movie magic. Like uh, you know, what's probably happening is uh, the NSA is tapping into Skype right now, and they just have to like redistribute some of the nodes. So we just gotta let the Skype network rebalance, and then you'll be fine. So, Domo arigato. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we should, I mean, I know we could probably go on for Vala, but I almost say, really, if there's more interest in this, people should write in and maybe we could dedicate more of an episode Can't to hear it. you at all, man. Oh, jeez. Come on, Skype. All right, here. Yeah, you're a robot. At, let, me, let, me, uh, <sighs> let me just shut my Skype down yeah. for a second. Yeah, and, and then you think. call me back. And while you work I'll that out, you got to, you know what, I'll do a spot for Linux Academy while you work that out. So you, you, do, you shuck and jive, Mr. Dominic, and while you shuck and jive, I'll shuck and jive over here and tell the good folks about Linux Academy. This is a great opportunity for you to go over there and challenge yourself a little bit. Take your skills up to the next level and educate yourself. Make your skill set even broader. Deepen it in areas that maybe you've self-taught and could use some of the fundamentals sort of refreshed for you. Or challenge yourself, because Linux Academy has scenario-based training that at the end of that scenario, you will feel like you could walk out there and deploy something in a production environment because you've done it. You've taken the technology from beginning to end and actually implemented something. This is Linux Academy I'm talking about. I want you to go to linuxacademy.com slash coders right now so you can get the discount. Linux Academy is adding new stuff all the time. OpenStack courses, they've just been blowing up. AWS courses, they've been blowing up. They've got Linux fundamentals that are absolutely, I would say, the base of what you need to learn. If you are developing or deploying applications that depend on a Linux system, you need to know these things, please. And Linux Academy lets you do it at your own pace, at your own time. How, is, it, is it better over there now, Mr. Dominic? Are you back? Are you okay? We're still a little robotic. All right, we'll see if it. You know what? We'll give it to the end of the Linux Academy spot, and if it doesn't stabilize out, we'll we'll yep. we'll figure it out. So go over to linuxacademy.com/coders. That's going to get you the discount, and you're going to want that because they're constantly adding new stuff all the time. And one of the things that I think is exceptional about Linux Academy is they have lab environments. So as the courseware requires that you do something in the back end without you having to worry about it, they'll spin up the instance. That's not only nice from like a time savings, convenience standpoint and getting the ideal environment for education, it's also great from a cost savings standpoint. Because if you're practicing on a scenario on AWS, do you really want to worry about the fact that just having that AWS instance running is going to cost you money? No. 
No. Linux Academy manages all of that for you. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go check them out. Become part of the community. Get a special 20% discount right now by going to LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go keep track of your progress. Challenge yourself. Test yourself. Download their comprehensive study guides. Listen to them on the go or watch them and join their live events. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. All right, Mr. Dominic. I, uh, I, I went upstairs during the Linux Academy spot and I told Rika to stop torrenting all of Game of Thrones. Is it better now? Yes, it is. Uh, but good taste, Rikai. I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Uh, all right, so we have some more emails to get to. And now, finally, a uh, friend of the show, Jed, uh, writes in, Nerf Master. He says uh, he's wanted to respond to the object-oriented programming question and picking that up that we got, uh, I think it was a week or two ago. He says, responding to listener Matt's question about learning OOP. I took a class by all, I'm sorry, Alan Holub. That's H-O-L-L-U-B. He'll link it in the show notes, so if you guys want to check it out, it's H-O-L-U-B dot com. He says, it was a really got me off to a good start. It might not be possible for you to take a class to get started in object-oriented programming, but you might consider it. What brought me further than Alan's class was the notion of design patterns, which Alan really took the time to emphasize during his classes. So I would recommend the book... I would recommend two books after you feel like you've been doing the basic projects in an object-oriented language. The first is Design Patterns, Elements of Reusable Object-Oriented Software. He has a link to that. And the second is Refactoring, Improving the Design of Existing Code. And he has a link to that. Try reading the design patterns first, but lightly. It's a rather more of a reference book, and you might not get the cleverness of the patterns at first, but don't worry. But then... Make a dedicated effort to read refactoring. I found that I learned so much more about object oriented from the refactoring book than I learned from the patterns book because it shows why huge mins of read red design patterns uh, I lost, of nested if, if statements are evil and more reasons why so. I got, it, I, I got it so well that I was inspired to go reread design patterns again because now I knew why these patterns were forms of solutions, not just dogma. There's plenty of object-oriented dogma out there, of course, Cheers, Jed. Now, Jed, Jed's a, a friend of the show. I always, I always uh, take his recommendations uh, yes. f- at full face. So I would say go out there, check out h o l h o l u b dot com for the training. And uh, if it works for Jed, well, he's riding a bike. It'll probably work for you. There's a good chance. Uh, Mumble room going once on the object oriented topic, going twice on the object oriented. Anyone- Anyone, anyone wanting to go with object-oriented and learning it? If you already know C, by any chance, there is a freely available online book called Object-Oriented C uh, with, with NCC. And that's pretty much, if you know how to build objects in C, you will understand how the thing works innerly. And even when you're using objects, you will be more uh, careful. I, I think it's a good resource too. You have even just for reading if you don't want to practice at all, just to have it as a reference. Very good. Thank you, sir. I actually I actually fully agree with this. This book is amazing. and uh, But this book is quite low level, and it will give you an understanding of how object-oriented languages, languages meaning compilers, interpreters, whatever, how object-oriented lang- uh, languages implement uh, object orientation. But it's not going to give a sense of how to properly design software using object-oriented okay. uh, methodologies. Okay. okay, okay. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to a recommendation, mm-hmm. mine yeah. would be to learn as many languages or at least the ones that interest you because making your mind think in different ways are a really good way in order to bring 
different things you learn from other languages back into the other ones. So then that way your patterns or algorithms can get enhanced by learning and making your mind change and making yourself better at that, doing that sort of thing. Uh, then we go back to the, uh, uh, the guy, that, exactly running the generalization like versus the mastery of one. Uh, do you think, yes. do you start at, at trying everything and then do you zero in on something or do you stay trying everything forever? I keep trying new things to see <laughs> yeah. whether or not uh, some good new ideas come around, like in Go or like channels or let's say the lightweight actors type thing. Things do come around that are new and can actually get backported, like lambdas. They were invented 20, 30, well, 30, 40 years ago, but they haven't really become popular until recently, which they have a whole new life. There you go. I don't get yeah, to. And I agree. Yeah. Sorry, please go ahead. No, Fred, go ahead. Um, so I also absolutely agree. But, I mean, we, you also have to make the difference between, um, you know, the doer and the thinker. And um, do not underestimate the thinker as well, I think. So uh, the doer is the programmer who, ju- who wants to get stuff done, right? So um, it's, of course, great to look at many languages. It will improve your programming skills, but it's not going to improve your thinking skills. It might a bit influence your design skills, but still it's not going to change your perception of, uh, you know, software and the essence of computation in the, in, at a very fundamental level. I've spent the past few years uh, uh, diving into Haskell, and this is one language that truly did change uh, my perception of what computation really is and what programs truly are, right? And when I went back programming in Python or C, I really threw away all the all the object object oriented procedural blah 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 i'm just essentially just using functions at the end and functions do a certain um, type of work or do some work and that's it really i don't need those objects i don't need all that kind of stuff and uh, yeah and c actually is 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 much nicer to do this in than as, a, as an example java or python hmm. but uh, it did absolute haskell really did remove um, my need to create objects all the time or to try to find some design pattern and stuff because at the end programs are data in, data out and a bunch of pipelines in the middle, let's say. yeah. And if you can connect the pipelines properly, uh, you, you're good to go. doesn't matter. Design doesn't, doesn't have that much influence anymore. Mm. Let's face it. Languages go and cater to our personal mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. I'd say just... Um, Learn what you need to do your work. And this is something that I found to be true on almost any coworkers agree with me. It's like every coworker agree with me is if you're working in a level of abstraction, learn the previous level of abstraction, hmm. just theoretically at least, to be more proficient on the level that you're working in. Hmm. If you follow that principle, it rarely fails to you. I like that. I learn, like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, learn the one next to you. Uh, that's interesting. And I also, uh, I like Fred's point about don't underestimate the, the thinker, or maybe you could say the tinkerer. Uh, and that's something I've sort of learned about myself is the, uh, master of none, uh, general, general guy sort of approach that I took to IT and contracting 
early on, everybody in my career told me I was doing it wrong. Oh, you need to focus. You need to specialize. You need to certify. You need to become. I had I was I I had such immense pressure to become a Citrix certified engineer to get into Citrix and MetaFrame and the ICA protocol and and all of that and that was what like all of my management at the time years ago wanted me to do and I was like I don't really want to hitch my wagon to one particular thing I like exploring I like trying all this stuff out and I thought I thought I was wrong I thought in fact I would have guilt when I would sort of play with other technologies and learn new things, I would feel a little guilty because I was, I thought, robbing from my professional development. And it took me uh, until it, it really probably took me until we started doing Coda Radio 117 episodes ago when I realized, (laughs) you know, actually it was a benefit, right? I mean, I knew I started to figure it out, but then I really kind of appreciated it. No, for some people, this is how they work and it's good for them because it it enables a set of, a different set of opportunities. Let's face it, it's um, one of the things that you cannot do if you go and read all the books is uh, explore and find that you can actually achieve the same results. I mean, reading the books is always good, but exploring by yourself is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, I fun. Think that's what drives me. Yes, yes it's yeah. fun. All right, Carl writes in just a quick point before we uh, close out the email today. He says, just a little correction. The functional programming paradigm has been around since the 50s. It wasn't until some of the major players in the 70s, Scheme, and then in the 80s, Haskell, uh, that languages were actually branded with, this is a functional language, quote-unquote. I just wanted to clarify this. The functional programming paradigm has been around since the 50s, right about the same time the object-oriented programming paradigm started in the late 50s. Just as a point, I think we sort of implied last week that that it was a brand new thing or recently. I don't remember. I don't even remember. Yeah, but I got a lot of feedback on this too. I think we, and by we, I of course mean me, but would like you to take some of the blame too because that makes it easier. No problem. Um, We didn't do a great job of communicating what we didn't like. I, I think so, at least for me, and I think you... What I was criticizing was like the new hotness, hypiness, yeah, yeah, yeah. not functional programming itself. Right. Uh, yeah, because, you know, it, it's... It, it, it's like the Agile thing, right? I'm not criticizing the idea of Agile. I'm criticizing the guy who wants to charge me, you know, 400 bucks an hour to tell my team about Agile. Right. And it's this, right. And it's this new hotness culture that we were simultaneously criticizing and yet being wrapped up in, in the way we were kind of framing the conversation. <laughs> you know? So it happens. Our bad... So uh, thank you, Carl, for the clarification. Uh, I do have a little bit of hoopla that I want to toss around with you guys. Uh, oh, geez. And, and almost as if, uh, as if it was the perfect timing, I thought we should stop first before we get onto this hoopla because it is a big topic. Let's clear the decks. Let's take a deep breath. Let's have a refreshing moment of DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and check out DigitalOcean. Now, I've told you about them for a little while. So if you've been thinking about it, if you've been on the fence, let me give you a few pointers as to why you might want to try DigitalOcean, why it might work great for the back-end infrastructure for something you're working on, for your own personal website, or maybe even just for your small business. That's what we use it here. I've got OwnCloud, BitTorrent, Sync up there. I've got a bunch of mirrors up there. I've got FTP, a Dropbox for people that are working remotely up on this business i constantly add a photo gallery but a photo gallery up on and it's all for five dollars a month it's incredible let me tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean and why I think it's such a great service DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server users can create a cloud server in under 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only five dollars per month that gets you 512 megabytes of RAM a 20 gigabyte SSD and one CPU 
attached to some blazing fast bandwidth with one terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and a brand new data center in London. Their interface is simple. Their control panel is super intuitive, and power users can replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API that there's already been tons of applications written for. When I go over to DigitalOcean now, I sort of take peace in the fact that if I need to spin up a server for a project we're working on, and I've, I've mentioned this story, I think, recently, where Rikai came to me and said, you know, there's this thing I want to do. I don't want to do it on our production box, uh, which, is a, which in this case was a BSD machine. I want to do it on a Linux box. I want to have this specific version of Ruby, and I kind of want to do it in an isolated environment, and I need to kind of be able to do it quick because before I go off and spend a bunch of time on this, I want to try this thing. In the past, that kind of problem would have been solved by spinning up a VM here on our own local server, installing an operating system. I mean, maybe it would have taken me a half hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, that's enough that I'm going to be like, yeah, sorry, Rika, I can't get to that. Turns out I'm busy. You know, and really, just knowing the kind of overhead involved, just to be able to start out something like that so that we can get other stuff done is often enough where it never gets off the ground when I'm busy. Not with DigitalOcean. I can go over to DigitalOcean in under a minute. I have an Ubuntu 14.04 long-term support 64-bit server spun up, accessible on the web with tier 1 bandwidth on DigitalOcean servers that rock, all powered by KVM running on top of Linux with an awesome, easy-to-use dashboard ready to go with one-click installation of the LAMP stack. Yeah, that barrier to entry is completely eliminated because I use DigitalOcean. But here's the best part. We can get you a $10 credit. Now, remember I told you you can have a $5 rig? Well, now think about this $5 rig with a $10 credit. Guess what that means? Two months. Absolutely free. So go over to DigitalOcean.com right now and use the promo code CODERSEPTEMBER. CODERSEPTEMBER, brand new promo code. CODERSEPTEMBER, when you check out over at DigitalOcean.com, you'll get the $10 credit. Try out the rig for two months or try out their hourly pricing. And if you go over to DigitalOcean, you forget to use the brand new promo code because I know it just changed to Coder September. Don't worry. DigitalOcean's really great. They let you go into the control panel and apply the discount. One of the other things I like about DigitalOcean is you can also just pre-charge your DigitalOcean account with some funding if you want to do that. Then it just runs on that for a while. You don't have to have like a monthly ding on your credit card. You just, you just set the account up with some funds and let it go. And that's awesome for me because I have right now connected to my iPhone my own cloud server. My own cloud server has been pre-funded for the year. I don't pay for anything anymore. It just runs flawlessly up at DigitalOcean. It's awesome. So go use the promo code CODERAUGUST when you check out over DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, guys. I had just one thing. I know we don't have a lot of time left. I had one thing I wanted to just kind of kick around because I – you okay, full disclaimer – I come from a security background a lot from IT. I'm very influenced by security. Uh, and I'm also a father of, of two young daughters. So uh, this, I've been looking at this recent celebrity hack that everybody knows about, like Jennifer Lawrence's pictures that were pulled down off of iCloud. And I, I, what I see is the fundamental failure here is that Apple, as the platform maintainer, didn't introduce a way for the user to locally encrypt the data at the phone level using the phone CPU, using a key on that device before the data is ever sent to iCloud. When you take a photo on an iPhone, it's clicked, it starts uploading to iCloud in the background. Or if you have Dropbox or Google Plus auto backup. Is there a point where when this technology becomes so integrated with our personal lives... Like what, you know, I, I think about it, my, my daughter's going to high school and if, and if somebody at the high school was clever enough to hack whatever their cloud account is at the time and something extremely embarrassing 
was released. Then it goes from something that's an invasion of privacy for a celebrity to something that could be devastating to a young child. And at what point do developers have a moral responsibility that if, if, if you are going to build something that takes my personal photos and uploads them to your service that you manage and that I don't have the option to insert an encryption shim between when I take the photo and when that photo gets uploaded, it's either, hey, Chris, your photos are backed up or you don't get anything. It's all or nothing. At what point does it become a moral obligation for developers to enable this type of option like local encryption? If, if you're going to take my data, if you're going to host my data, then isn't your, your responsibility as a developer to give me a way to protect it before I give it to you? Mr. Dominic, I defer to you. Yeah, let's pump the brakes here, buddy. Um, it is not my responsibility to teach you how to have a secure password. Now, I think there's a little bit of, you know, give and take. I shouldn't let your password be dog. Okay, all right. But, you know, if you're, you know, I'm just, I love Jennifer Lawrence, big fan. If you're Jennifer Lawrence and your password is Hunger Games or something stupid <laughs> like that, then I feel terrible that this happened to you, yeah. but I'm not... I don't take responsibility for that. Well, okay. So let's uh, – hold on. That's like, that's, wait, 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 hang on. That's like saying I didn't lock my door and some guy stole my TV. I feel like what you're doing is you're taking the easy answer because let's look at the situation. A, humans are particularly bad at picking good passwords. Like, we know this. As, we know this as 2014 people creating these ecosystems, these platforms, these software. We know this. The other thing, particularly hard to have a good password on a mobile device. But these mobile devices have particularly types of sensitive information, location, photos, all that. It's, it's like this one-two combo of people are bad with passwords, plus mobile devices suck to have complicated passwords on them. But here is the extra hard part, and I, I, I can't blame Jennifer Lawrence for this. Because now, now, and this is still not unconfirmed, but it's not sounding like it was her photo stream photos that were sniped. Because it sounds like Jennifer Lawrence, or whoever, one of these celebrities, actually went through and purged her photo stream. But what happened is, is iCloud was doing a full image backup of the iPhone, and the attacker got access to a decade or decade to, to two or three year old uh, image backup of her iPhone, extracted the images from the image file system. How can you expect any any average user to be able to manage that situation where they could go in and say, OK, well, I've deleted these from my photo stream, but now I also need to go purge the last three years of nightly image backups of my iPhone. Uh, OK, so it sounds like your your complaint now is not, you know, you didn't encrypt your stuff. It's the the mental complexity around when what is considered an update and what I will I give you this I give you this scenario if right. if it is unrealistic in any normal capacity for the user to manage the system then it is incumbent upon the developers to provide a way to just have a base level security i.e. if everything was encrypted on that phone locally on that phone before it ever went to iCloud then it doesn't matter how complex it is it is never going to be exposed because it's encrypted locally and isn't it almost a moral responsibility if if, if you're going to take my stuff from me and put it on your servers I, I should have some sort of protection I don't think so. Okay. Well, on the other side, if, you know, in the cases where it's not somebody's, you know, nude photos and it's the photos of your young children learning how to walk, don't you prefer that I made 20 backups of those that if something yeah. happened, you know, roll oh, back for to sure. previous day? Dude, my only camera is my phone camera. I, so, I want all that backed up. Right. And so is mine. So, like, I have a lot of the photos from my wedding are iPhone photos or Android or my wife has had a Windows phone at the time. She Sorry used to, work to hear at that. Microsoft. Yeah, she's 
a, a, an enthusiastic iPhone 5C user now. Uh, but my point is, you know, she would be devastating if iCloud didn't exist and were, um, I'm sorry, SkyDrive didn't exist and she wasn't able just to pull all her photos into iCloud and into, uh, you know, into her new system. I, I, you kind of want to have it both ways. You either want the third party to intervene and protect your data in terms of backing it up, or you want to say, I have total control over my data and therefore my nudie pics can't get out. I'd argue that for the vast majority of people, the backup is worth these one or two you know, uncomfortable incidents. And I'd also argue that if you're a celebrity and you have an image to protect, particularly if you're someone who's seen as, you know, the girl next door, the whole wholesome girl, don't freaking take nudie pictures. <laughs> like, well, I hate that answer, though, because it's like, should we... Are we now going to become? Yeah. Are we? Are we now essentially imprisoning ourselves in in these jails? Shouldn't we allow technology? Already shouldn't be, a, but technology shouldn't be holding us back. Technology should be an enabler, not like a, not like a. Oh, I can't do these things. Like you know, like for me, like for example, I'll never take a picture of my wife. Well, maybe I will, but on a Polaroid. But I would never do it on a phone that automatically backs up. And I think I feel I feel like that's limiting in a sense. Like technology should be empowering me to do more things, not making me paranoid about where my personal data is going to be leaked next. And I guess this is my core point: is uh, and. I, I don't disagree. The functionality is good. I, I feel like the functionality is incomplete. Yeah, but then you're, you want to add a, a bunch of user settings and a bunch of complexity there yeah. that you know the vast majority of users won't know how to handle. Let or me won't. let me opt in. I don't know. I, I feel like if you let people opt in, they're going to be pissed off at you for not backing up their stuff. All right, Daredevilin, take at it. What Go do you think? It. So I think the first thing is making it mandatory or morally obligated for the developer will actually just increase the entrance barrier on doing these kind of things that mm. some a lot of times are not really prepared for. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the users are humans and they don't uh, pick the perfect password, so developers are humans too and we screw up sometimes. And that's something we need to acknowledge. What I would like to say is if we're getting into a service that we're paying with that particular purpose of backing up, then that service has to be held accountable. And that should be uh, something. But if we're going to the free buy of a service that we're just driving out, it's a beta or it's an experiment, I don't really think we should put on faults. It's like... Uh, we've been we've all seen all these before it's not a new thing and on the other hand is that isn't this the requirement of uh, governments to retain data for so long as well i mean yeah. if the person deleted on the device they should have deleted as well on the backup right but the government requirements obligates them to have for longer periods it, so. you know it reminded me too a little bit when you got into the in, into that aspect of it too of a little bit of the t-mobile sidekick hack that i think happened to paris helton a while ago uh heavens i know you kind of had a follow-on point to daredevil why don't you jump in here and uh, share your thoughts well my thought at least at the moment is pretty much only personal but as a developer myself for a few things the extension that i consider security is top priority i am the one that has the responsibility of encrypting things that you don't even consider important i encrypt everything in my extension in order to never let any raw data get on the disk or even in memory in memory and ram i even have it encrypted there i don't let it be shown raw anywhere 
And as a developer, that is my responsibility to be secure for my users. That's kind of what I was kind of getting at. Is I and I I cannot but, trust users. But you also users need users. to be better informed about this kind of stuff. And I don't know how we accomplish that. And and part of it in the case of Apple is it's part of their marketing message that you don't know how it works. They don't want you to think about uh, how it works but, behind the curtain. Okay, but so no no one has proven that this is a security breach in iCloud yet, right? I no, mean, in we're fact, just... there's some evidence it could be also be a Dropbox breach. Right. So we don't even know what vendor it is. Um, and no one has proven that it's an actual security breach, right? These could have been pat- – I mean, we all remember the Gawker exploit where – Password databases were compromised, and folks had been using passwords on 20 different sites, 20 different services that were exactly the same. I mean, yeah. there are so many cases where this is not a developer security problem. Um, yeah, like no, I think that, this is a this is a cloud storage problem in general. Well, one, one thing I was listening to the uh, you know the mainstream news this morning. I think it was either the BBC News or the Wall Street Journal news, and there are there are chalking this up as some huge like you know low sex style hacking campaign. That's no one has proven that yet, right? And, well, and it's more likely that that's not what this is. I think it well. So here's a statement: Apple released a statement about uh, 25 minutes before we went on air today. Uh, update to celebrity photo investigation. It begins. We want to provide an update to our investigation into the theft of photos of certain celebrities. When we learned of the theft, we were outraged and immediately mobilized Apple's engineering to discover the source. Our customers' privacy and security are of the utmost importance to us. After more than 40 hours of investigation, we have discovered that certain celebrity accounts were compromised by a very targeted attack on usernames, passwords, and security questions, a practice that has become all too common on the Internet. None of the cases we have investigated has resulted from any breach in Apple's systems, including iCloud or Find My iPhone. We're conducting to work with law enforcement. So in other sounds, words, they, sounds like they got they, their password. Right. They had a list of passwords from some other compromise on probably a lower tier service. And people, you know, famous people in this case, happened to be using the same password all over the place yep. and got compromised. Well, there's also a rumor going around that there was some code up on GitHub for a couple of days that essentially would allow you to try unlimited amounts of logins against Find My iPhone. Because there wasn't a, a login expiration set there, this press release implies that's not the case. But there was a there was GitHub code, a project up on GitHub. You downloaded it, you pointed it at a word dictionary, and then it would just and it, you give it an email address, and then it would try every possible combination from the dictionary attack until the Find My iPhone page uh, allowed a successful login. Some people have been speculating that uh, people figured out Jennifer Lawrence's and all the other email addresses and tried those. I think this is. I think the bigger story, I think because it's such a large dump at once, I think this was a big repository of pictures that have been collected for a long time. Some of these images go back many years. And then they were all dropped at once. I think they probably came from various cloud services. I think that's the real scandal here. I mean, I, Apple's going to take the brunt right before they introduce their new payment system. That's uh, unfortunate timing. Could actually kill that product for them. Uh, but it, it, I think it affects... And it definitely could affect any account that you have online with a bad password that you're not using two-factor authentication on either. That's the real lesson here. But what I get back to is there are certain steps that could have been taken at the platform level that could have prevented this from ever happening. They weren't taken, whatever. Uh, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. And it, I think, hope, I hope all of us just always keep security when we're, when we're dealing with this kind of data. I hope security is just always at the forefront of everyone's mind when they're developing these applications. Um, um, there's also another thing, like, 
we've been at the beginning you were saying the developers should have put something in the developers the apple probably just went up to the developers and said could you make this streamline and they did it and they completely right. looked over security with making it right i think it could, security and would make do you think it could streamline. be a culture thing do you think maybe like apple's like well just make it work make it really transparent and yeah. like security just doesn't really come up as one of the main discussion i mean that's conjecture but it's a possibility all right, uh, all right. That's a, I just that's a bit of a downer, but I, I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on it. And if what do you think, dear audience listening at home? Is, should developers maybe step up a bit more and uh, and offer? And, and isn't it not at least, if nothing else, a market opportunity to offer the secure? We do local encryption. Like, shouldn't Spider Oak be like using this as an opportunity to say this is why we've structured our service this way? Tell me what you think over to JupiterBroadcasting.com. Click the contact link. Choose Coda Radio from the drop down and send in your emails. What do you think about this topic or anything else we've discussed? We love getting your emails and reading them on shows or any questions you have for Mike and I will answer those as well. Mike, is there anything else we want to cover today? No, not much else. Uh, you know, does the Mumble Room have anything in particular, anything that grinds their gears? Yeah, yeah, Mumble Room. Anything you guys want to cover before we get out of here? Anything that uh, needs to be uh, followed up on? Yeah, I'd like to point something out here about the, this whole Apple thing. So, um Security in this case, or or privacy in this case, um, I think is is three is a three layer thing. So the first layer is you know the business part of it. Apple does not want you to encrypt your stuff before it gets uploaded to their servers. They want to index it. They want to mine it and all right. that stuff. They right? all do, don't they? Information is power. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah. So th- this is the political side of it. I'm not really interested in that. I won't get much. Too deep into this. Then, then there are two two layers below that. There are technical layers, and one is, um, you know, privacy conscious uh, Apple. Is Apple actively, uh, you know, um, working on 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 the security of their systems? And then the third layer is bugs, like genuine bugs, genuine errors, programming errors, or te- technological problems, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, those. Last two layers. I'm. I'm also not going to talk much about how how you know how much Apple cares about security of their products, the security of their products, or how privacy um, aware their their software or, or 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 you know backup services. But the last level of that, the last layer, is also very important. We are way. I think we are way ahead of our league in systems these days, in technology in general. Mm. We build really complex things, but we did not take the time <laughs> to perfect the tools, right, that we use to build those things. And I work for a company where we build an RF transceiver, and man, the tools are primitive, really. So yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. everything depends on humans and human error and, and com- communication and miscommunication. So... That hacker could have found a way in a a legitimate bug to get in there. Right. And there is nothing that Apple could ever do to prevent that. It'll happen. It'll happen to all services. And I think the unfortunate reality is if you, you know, Chris is right, like saying every app you make, every service you make require two-factor authentication. I got to be honest with, with you guys. Anything that's not mission critical, I simply won't use two-factor auth because that is just too much of a hassle for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. For instance, I had to take it off my WoW account because I, I would literally lose the goddamn dongle mm-hmm. 
mm. and have to call them yep. and sit on the queue for what it used to, it used to be terrible when I used to play. It was like an hour to sit yeah. on. Hold. Now nobody plays, so it's not. Now nobody bad. plays. They actually come to your house now and <laughs> if you need something, like you know, they're like, "You want a beer? Just keep playing. Yeah. It's all right." Please um, don't go away. <laughs> yeah, what would they? Well, that's, well, that's a whole other story about like the subscription thing in games, but. I, I feel like it, it's kind of like elitist to say, oh, we'll just encrypt everything and use two-factor off and you'll be okay. Great. But those of us who have an actual life aren't going to do that. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Oh, did I hit that too hard? Sorry, guys. No, I think it's a good point. That's that's why I wish it was built in more easy. I wish it was just yeah. – I just wish it was like if you turn on the iCloud backup, it just – by default, it's doing local encryption. And like if I have my phone plugged in – why the hell did you put a 64-bit over gigahertz processor in this damn thing if you're not going to let me do encryption? I, I know, I know. But seriously, if it's plugged in at night, it's connected to Wi-Fi, spend the extra 20 minutes and it just encrypt the whole damn thing locally. I'm not asking for, I, I don't know, it's not a miracle here. I don't feel like it's a, I'm not even asking for it to be complicated. If anybody could pull it off, it would be Apple. Like, all they would have to do is when you tap the box, they would generate a key that's based on your iCloud password, so that way you could restore it to any device, and all you would need is your iCloud password. That would unlock the key, would decrypt it, and restore the data. It's not a, it's not a big challenge. Um, that CPU was in there for marketing reasons <laughs> uh, and, you know, for, like, uh, having a UI that doesn't hang on you. Yeah, but that's true. That doesn't freeze while you're using it. It's not there for your own good. Both security could be fixed by introducing simply information. Saying, this service does this in this fashion. And most of the times, people will be aware, oh, these uploads things, um, they're not properly, they're not ex- encrypted. They're backed up. And, well, it's backing up right now. So I have like three, four backups. Fine. If you know this, Maybe you will be cautious about putting data there. Yeah. Well, I I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, some of them did. They tried to delete it from the photo stream. They didn't know about the image backup. It just gets because, you know, you just keep going down the rabbit's hole. I I understand this is this is it's going to be something where we're going to here's here's Chris's pro tip. If you want to take nudie selfies, get a get a Polaroid camera. Just and then mail and then mail them. Right. And then watch people steal your mail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you snail mail, nobody will ever see it. But here's the thing: if they steal your mail, they go to prison for like ten years. That's actually a more serious crime than I hacking. I know, right? Yep. Hmm. That makes you think. Well, anyways, or spin up a digital ocean and use own cloud. Yeah, right? yeah. And use the, the promo code. Yes, the promo code, Chris. Coder September. Yeah. That's a very good point. And actually, BitTorrent Sync, great sync program, includes photo backup for your mobile device. And if you do want online mobile backup and you want it to go to your own location, BitTorrent Sync can do that. You can do it right now. Something to think about. <laughs> all right. All right. We should wrap it up right here. Thank you very much, Mumble Room, for joining us today. You guys were great. Uh, normally, the Coda Radio program is live on a Monday over jblive.tv. We do it noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. To get it in your local time zone, don't forget Coda Radio, JupiterBroadcasting.com. Mr. Dominic, where would you like to send folks throughout the week? Send them to DominicM.com and at Dumanuko on Twitter. Boom. Follow me on Twitter too, won't you? Twitter.com slash ChrisLAS. Also, you can follow the network on Instagram. Instagram really is the best social network. I don't care if Facebook bought them. All you other fools, you're lying to yourselves. Instagram wins. Instagram.com slash JupiterBroadcasting. It's photo magic. You got to go check it out. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.